Welcome to the PWE and Me podcast, a place where we talk about the workplace, how it's changing, and ways that we can create an experience at work that is inspiring, real, and motivates us to bring our best self to work. PWE, what is it? Well, it's an acronym for Purposeful Workplace Experience. I'm on a mission to help our workplaces shift from being transactional to transformational, and PWE is how we will get there. My name is Carolyn Suara, your host and creator of PWE. Welcome to another episode of PWE and Me. Today, I am so delighted to have on our show Jackie Lauer, workplace culture expert and executive coach. Welcome, Jackie. So pleased to have you on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Great. And and Jackie and I actually are both fellow Canadians. Uh, we live not too far apart from each other, uh, but I know that your wisdom spans well beyond Canada, Jackie, and I know that our listeners will uh, really uh, benefit from hearing about your amazing insight. But yeah, no, our, our, our listeners are, are going to benefit from all the experience you've had over the past 20, uh, 20 or so years, uh, right? You were in change management and now uh, 20 years ago, and now you really focus on workplace culture. Is that is that right, Jackie? Maybe tell us a little bit about uh, your amazing background. That's right. Yeah. So I was actually uh, head of sales in an IT company and to shorten the story, ended up launching my business in 2000, specifically in change management, working with large crown corporations or organizations. And one of the insights that I had after a number of years of managing large scale change was, you know, the same that many of us get to, which is culture eats strategy for breakfast. So I was like, yeah. if I'm really going to help them through this change stuff, I'm going to have to really understand workplace culture and what does that mean? So that's the journey that I went on for quite a number of years. And now, while my work is still specifically around building, you know, happy, high performance cultures, I'm spending a lot of time working with people on relationships and great conversations and how that yeah. culture. So let's dig into that. Yeah. Thanks, Jackie. That's, um, I mean, culture 20 years ago, I'm sure people didn't even use that word when it came to the workplace. Sure, uh, I didn't use that word six, seven years ago. <laughs> <laughs> and now it's the only word anybody uses right. when they talk about the workplace. Um, but yeah, I, I, I love the simplicity of your statement right? that, you know, conversations are, are the relationship in the workplace and, and paying attention to these relationships now certainly has become much more uh, top of mind for people. And what, did, what have you seen in your work? You know, when I think about, I, I think about even just this week for me, and sometimes the leaders were, are specifically asking, and I'm sure it's exactly the same for you, help me transform the culture. We're looking for more engagement and we're less attrition, those kinds of things. But that's actually rare. The pain points are typically right down in the weeds. I've got two teams that are competing or I've got two senior leaders that are in conflict. And I'm realizing the, the more I can help them with their capacity for human relationship and great, brilliant, trusting, bold conversation, that when we learn to do that well, naturally what falls out of that is a culture of inclusion and belonging and safety. And it sort of comes from there. 
And and Jackie, how do you deal with the the head rolls, the eye rolls? Like, come on, I know how to talk to my people. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Well, so it's funny thing. I think about when I started selling what I do, uh, and I was you know t- selling directly to leaders of companies, and I brought in a brand consultant about a year and a half into my business, and he came back to me and he said, Jackie, you're selling it wrong. I said, Help, help me figure out. He says, You're telling leaders that they need help, and none of them think they need help. You need to tell the leaders that you're going to help them with their teams. And I oh, like, so, That's so that was good. the switch for you. It really was. It's just changing my messaging. And I think about even, I had a, I was just at an event this morning and I sponsored a table at this leadership breakfast. And so the people that came to my table were all clients or past clients and they all get talking. And there's a moment where they're kind of all making fun of me. <laughs> so I'm like, what's happening here right now? And so what they were doing was making fun of the part where, when is it that Jackie actually came to you and said, we're working on you too? <laughs> and do you and what part of the uh yeah what part of the cycle uh with your clients do you actually say that or do they figure it out on their own what, so i'll most of them most of them you know have that level of self-awareness to go are you are you working on me too i actually <laughs> am yeah <laughs> or, or but it, you know what it's like when you're asking enough provocative questions that force their level of reflection or they see the way that we model communication in the work that we do they start going, oh, crap, I think I'm I'm not the whole problem, but I'm part of the culture that's been created. And if I transform me, I'll help the system transform. Right. And so so it sounds like, you know, from your perspective, that leaders really play a, like a key a key role in the culture. They they do. I mean, and, you know, I mean, I feel like I'm talking to you because you know all this, but yeah. they do, right? I mean, they set the tone. It's, and I don't mean to be condescending, but it's not unlike parenting. You know, w- whether it's conscious or unconscious, we're setting value systems and beliefs that sit inside our families and inside our organizations. But I also know, like I think about one team that I worked with specifically at a university the learning that they had to have was how much power they had as the employees and really unaware of their own capacity to lead and drive culture as well. Yeah, I, oh, I, I, I am totally on board with you. Um, I've had similar experiences where people have, have felt like, oh, well, we just have to wait for the CEO to tell us what to do. And and my response is, no, we don't. You you can control your environment every day. And and let's come back to what you know you talk about with your clients specifically. Right? Are those conversations and the relationships that you build every day? So helping yeah. leaders create better conditions. I mean, that's what PWE is all about. Um, and, and, and creating better experiences. Um, what, what do you, what do you see gets in the way for these leaders, um, or, or wakens them up to realize the impact that they have on the experience of the people that they're working with? You know, when I think about sometimes, like I, I can think about a couple executive level that I'm coaching one-on-one right now. And there's a, there's a theme of disengagement for them. It's like, I've, I'm a good leader and I love what I do, but yeah, I don't feel fulfilled anymore. And what I'm noticing is this, like, I miss the early days when we were a small team and we had so much trust and there was, when there was so much trust, there was more innovation, but the bigger we get, the more disconnected the people get from me. And I even get from my own why my own purpose. And so the reason I bring that up in the context of your question is that they they lose, the bigger the company gets, the faster they grow, 
the leader will sometimes stay only in the place of visionary and they they're always in the sort of tell mode and setting direction and vision but they forget to stop to breathe to listen to be connected to their people and when there's that connection trust can occur so that innovation and more performance happens Oh, that's amazing. Connection is pretty amazing. And so that ability to connect, does that change uh, from the from the tenure of their of their role being, you know, being the CEO? Is it different from when they start? Uh, it does. It really does. Because now, don't get me wrong, some of those leaders that go from one large organization to the other that's had the insight that part of leading requires that level of connection at all levels. <laughs> like I think about one of my favorite leaders is in a huge constructions com- company, you know, multi-million dollar company. Okay. And every year when I go in, the leadership team goes, he's seriously the best CEO ever. Aww. And whenever I ask them why, like, why are you guys so connected to this guy? And they do that old fashioned philosophy management by walking around. Nice. I said, okay, but we know leaders that do management by walking around, but they're shit, excuse me, yeah. are connected with their people. And I always say, so what's different about him? And they say, he makes you feel like you are God for those five minutes in that conversation. Oh, such a gift, isn't it? Such a gift. Right? Yeah. So he, when you're that present and you're that mindful and you're just there in that moment, connection is allowed to happen, which builds trust. Yeah. And we actually know from neuroscience, if you're not in the sort of listening connection mode, you, you, the trust literally shuts down. Yeah. And, and let's dig into that. Like I, I want to dig into some of that neuroscience. So uh, I know we were just talking about a CEO there, but let's, let's think of uh, a, a leader, a middle manager in an organization and, and what are some things that they need to be aware of from a neuroscience perspective that can help them create better connection? Yeah, there's a, there's a list that I was just thinking about this morning with one of my clients. I call them the blind spots for connection and communication. And one of those is just assumptions that people are, are uh, in agreement with you. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> yeah, we like to think everybody's in agreement with us when we have great ideas, right? It's so true, right? It's so true. And so it's like, watch the assumptions. Sometimes people just agree with you because you're the boss. So yeah. really creating a safe place for people to disagree with you and almost encouraging it from a place of building trust, but also from a place of innovation, right? It's like, all right, tell me where you disagree, bring it. And, and, and what have you seen leaders do uh, to create that space? What, what are some tangible advice you could give to those who are listening? So there's a, a number of things like for number one is being okay with being wrong. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's creating that space of, uh, you know, if you look at the Brene Brown work on vulnerability and Patrick Lencioni talking about vulnerability-based trust, great leaders have no problem saying, oops, man, I was wrong about that, or I screwed up on this. And so they're modeling that mistakes happen, they have insight and learning from it, and then they move on. Right. So when you do that, right, you're creating a safe place for someone to do the same. It's also... Um, there's a, one of the, I think I wrote an article about it recently, was just talking about the leaders who are in that sort of sell, tell, yell mode. Mm. And, they, and, and I, I can think of two right now that I'm working with. I don't care if you're um, mid-level leader, director level, VP or CEO. If you're always in a meeting where your intention is good and that you want to educate 
your people or inspire your people. Here's where we're going. Here's what's coming next. Here's what's happening. But you're only in education and information mode. If you never put yourself in a place of listening to the experience of your people, literally trust and connection shuts down in the brain. Yeah. And well, so, I, sorry, go ahead. It just goes into that fight or flight mentality. People will feel like there's so there's no space for me. And so they go into that I'm threatened mode versus there's room for me to contribute. We have a high desire to be active participants in our life. And if yeah. no one is asking us, then it will shut down. We will literally go into that, that sort of threat mode. And so how do you coach, what do you say to these people who perhaps don't like, well, have that blind spot of creating that um, space for other people to speak? So a number of things. Number one is just first start noticing if you're, if you're, uh, what there's what we call level one, level two, or level three conversation. So if you're in level one, you're really just in tell, tell, tell mode. And are, if, right? so you're, yeah, you're doing most of the talking. You're, you only hear your exactly. voice. There's no space for anybody else. Exactly. And yeah. so just notice, even start noticing other people do it. So when you have that awareness, you can start noticing when you're doing it. Right. Level two conversation is sort of a little bit of the uh, transactional conversation. It's a bit of give and take, a little bit of back and forth. It's conditional trust, wait and see. And the place we want to get to when we think about some of our favorite colleagues that we've worked with or our favorite bosses or our favorite clients or our favorite uh, employees is when we are in that co-creation partnership, that's level three conversation, which is transformation. When we're in full-on level three conversation, that's partnership, co-creation. That's brilliant. It's safe. It's innovative. It's ideas. And so what I want the leaders to do is start noticing, are they in level one, level two, or level three conversations? Are you coming from I in the place of I'm going to protect me, I'm sort of resistant? Or are you coming from we, which is I really genuinely want to partner with you as a co-creator? Yeah, that the language is so important, isn't it? Uh, you know, the I or, or me or whenever I hear somebody say my team, I always get a little shiver. I'm like, it's not your team. It's the team. It's not your team. And it does set the tone, like even just language is so important. And it's something I'm still learning, even though I'm supposed to be an expert in this stuff. I always say I'm an expert, but I ain't no master. <laughs> Right. I'm a human being. And sometimes my language can be bold or directive. And my job as a leader is to notice, did I impact them in a way that sort of releases the oxytocin in the brain, which is the calming, happy hormone? Or did I impact them by releasing cortisol and stress? In their yeah. Bodies? And what are some of the things, Jackie? I mean, that's another great, full of so many great insights. What uh, what are some things that we could uh, let the people listening know to look for? Um, yeah. Yeah, I love that. I, I think about, um, <laughs> I've got like a bunch of stories floating around my head. Think about one person that I'm working with who happens to also be a client. So he's a client of mine in that he pays me almost like an employee, right? So I do work for him with his employees. Yep. But also at the same time, I'm trying to coach him to be a better leader. Okay. And so he triggers me. Mm. So he has this way. He has this way of he rolls his eyes when he's a little annoyed. He makes sounds. Well, well it should be like, <laughs> like sounds of frustration when he doesn't like what I say. So 
uh, I, but I'm human. So those things trigger me. A passive aggression is a type of behavior I'm not great at (laughs) with people who behave that way, but it's my job to help him get past that. And yet I'm human and I'm having my own reaction. So for me, it was about how do I create a safe space that I can tell him that without offending him, that that's the impact he's having on me. And how do I create a safe space that he tells me what about my style of communicating is triggering it in him. Mm, And what did you learn from that? It was awesome. It was so awesome. Of course, the first one or two conversations were awkward as we built the trust. And so getting to the place of safety where I was like, you know, he, I was like, so are you ready to share with me with awareness about what it is that I do that triggers these reactions in you? Because he actually didn't know at first. Really? And so, you know, it became, may I request that you take some time to reflect on what I may be doing and please know that I'm quite comfortable hearing whatever it is. And it was great. His story on me was, Jack, you're, you know, you're an extrovert. I'm an introvert. You're, when you're a speaker, you're passionate. So your arms kind of wave in the air with excitement. And he said, it just, it just was the word he, he said, you intimidate me. Really? And I said, so what are you believing about my behavior and about my intention to intimidate? What are you believing about people that behave this way? And he just said that you, that you want to be smarter than me. Wow. And what a gift, right? And, I, and so it was a great moment where I said, so are you okay with the fact that that wasn't my intention? Do you accept that? And he's like, yeah. And I said, and I accept that that was the impact I had on you. I can't. That's a, that's his truth. That's not my place to judge yeah. it. So judging is an example of when someone is in judgment, it's something that you do that threatens people. Yeah. What I want people to learn is something to appreciate versus judge. So there's, there's these words that I'll use with clients that say, how do you downregulate the brain so that you can like not put people into, um, not trigger people? So minimizing the type of conversations that will that will trigger people into power plays or, or fear the fight or flight response. So he was experienced what he thought was judgment from me or a knowing she knows more than me. And, and, uh, and Jackie, how, how would we know if we are potentially going to trigger someone? Because, I mean, we don't know the baggage and crap that people carry around. But are there certain right. areas that maybe we should be a little bit more conscious of? Yeah, for sure. And for me, it's about really noticing the language, your tone and your body language that could be received as someone who's either judgmental, someone who is exclusionary. Are you limiting people from conversations or relationships? As a leader, you and I've seen this people who withhold, they withhold knowledge or information. Yeah. People who are always dictating or criticizing. So there's certain language, tone, Um, and behavior that demonstrate all of those things. And what we want to do is what we call upregulating, which is reinforcing the type of behavior and language that will build the trust and open people up with transparency and and empathy. So when I was having the conversation with this fella, I was demonstrating over time that I'm not in judgment. I'm actually appreciating how cool you are that you're so different from me. Hmm. And instead of withholding my responses, I was demonstrating, I'm going to share, like share your version and I'll hear it. And I want you to hear mine. Yeah. And that really, sorry, go ahead. Oh, and I was just going to say, and then instead of being the know-it-all that he thought I was, he was realizing that I I actually genuinely have 
curiosity and humility to learn from him. Yeah. Those are two great words, curiosity and humiliate humility. Uh-huh. Yeah. I love it. I love that word curiosity. It it helps me to calm down when I'm annoyed. Yeah. Like yeah. if someone had triggered me, I go, be curious, Jackie. Be curious. I use that with my teenage children. I'm curious <laughs> to know why your cell phone is still in your room at ten o'clock at night. <laughs> Yes, because you know it's not supposed to be there. But yeah, that is a, that is a good go-to word. I'm curious, uh, which can help pull us out of judgment. Um, where I was going to go earlier uh, was it, it, this idea of embracing who we are and accepting who we are. I know that's another uh, another piece um, or another area you focus on with clients. Can you maybe talk about that? How you help people do that? So. Um... Yeah, I think there's a bunch of things in there. For one, it's a little, a, a lot about just know who we are. Like, know who you are. Like, what are, when you're in judgment of someone else, it's often based on our own value systems. So if we mm-hmm. see someone behave in a way that's contrary to our value systems, it could trigger us. So if you at least know your own value systems, you'll know when you're triggered. And yeah. over, so no self. And I mean, that sounds obvious, but it's amazing how many people don't know. So what would be an example there where somebody didn't realize that? Is there a story you could share with a client? Great example. Just it's something that, you know, because I find in my in my experience that using the word values, people say, yeah, yeah, I value integrity, trust. They kind of rhyme off what everyone says. But when you dig a little deeper, yeah. they don't always connect to it. I, well, I love that you said that because literally just two days ago, coaching a CEO He's talking about someone specifically that's bugging him on his team. So I said, I want you to walk me through your last two conversations just to help him tease out the behavior. And then I said, what about that behavior piss you off? And he said, look, I have high integrity. And I said, well, integrity is honoring your own value system. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> so what was it you saw? The trigger is like, well, God, you're just supposed to say thank you to people. Mm, there you got to the heart and of it there. Said, What's the value? And he says, it's like generosity and gratitude. And this guy never has gratitude. Mm. So, And I said, okay, so gratitude is a really high value system for you. And if you look at his behavior, what behavior was, what might he be valuing? What was he valuing, valuing with his own behavior? And it put him in the other person's shoes to walk around. I said, don't bring in your own judgment yet. Just find his value system by his behavior. And so he went, oh, speed. So his value system was speed and mine is gratitude. So I'm like, you're picking relationship over task. And I, yeah, he's picking task over relationship, right? So can you both be right and both be wrong? And he's like looking at me. He gets this look where it's kind of like, I hate you. And yeah. <laughs> right. And that's, I love that you said that because people often don't get values because we're often not even conscious of our own. We go yeah. into judgment of behavior. So I, I, t- I want to teach people, notice you're placing value on others' behaviors and their intentions, but through your own lens, not theirs. Yeah, it's this whole idea of slowing down and and recognizing what triggers you and and giving yourself the space to do that. I that's that's been a something I've really worked on personally and as I've worked on it, I've noticed how many people around me don't think that they need to spend time on that and don't make space to do it. Yeah. I, I love that you just said slowing down. You know, there's a reason why mindfulness is the buzzword right now in workplaces. And I hope it's doing its job because 
the time we waste in poor conversations and a lack oh. of trust and poor, and everyone's like, we don't have time. Well, you know what? You don't have time. So slow down yeah. to speed up, right? Absolutely. And I mean, they say, you know, people say we don't have time, but yet we have time to create shitty products or shitty outcomes. Um, and if we slowed down a little bit and thought about it, we could create better solutions. So I always, I roll my eyes. That's a, <laughs> I, I will catch myself doing that, not creating a good environment. Uh, but yeah, I have certainly gotten better at um, improving my reaction to those types of things. Um, Jackie, what about, uh, Let's talk a little bit about unconscious bias. Yeah. And I just came back from uh, the Work Human Conference in Nashville. And that, that was a theme that really jumped out at me, which is we all have them. You got to get to know and figure it out. And then, then we can actually start yeah. talking about being inclusive. But we have to accept the fact that we have these unconscious biases. And that we all have them. Like, it's just a fact. Yeah. I think what I like about the work that's happening with unconscious bias right now, it, it it's creating the space for people to slow down and notice them so that we can take action. So for me, it's courageous work. It's very courageous work to get to, in the case of me working with leadership teams, to help people feel safe with each other, to acknowledge the biases that actually exist in themselves or within the system themselves, the self, and then doing something about it. Yeah. And, and how would we define for those who maybe haven't heard the term, but how would we define an unconscious bias in, uh, in regular terms? And what would be an example of one? Well, and there's just literally hundreds of biases that exist, but the, it literally is a bias that sits in our DNA in our body that it, that we are often unconscious of. So it could be a stereotype that society, media, our parents, our experiences in our life has created for us. So everything from the one I hear a lot is Asians are smart or Asians are better at math or mm. black men are strong. Those are common stereotypes that people will start with uh, it, to talk about how they exist, whether they're right or wrong. They're a bias that sits in our DNA and in our society. Yeah. And then we go deeper, like we start talking about women don't belong in leadership roles. And then, you know, going to the next levels, no woman should study math because she's not as smart as men. It's like, whoa, but they're there. Yeah, so let's they bring are. them out and make them explicit and start talking about them with each other so that we're seeing them together and sharing um, and sharing the impact of those things on our on each other and in our systems. And what about, uh, what do you see when it comes to the workplace and, and again, this idea of creating relationships and good conversations, what would be some more, uh, I guess, subtle biases that perhaps we're not even aware of that we are bringing in to these conversations? Yeah, sometimes, um, I'm going to think of an example I'm going to think of an example just literally from yesterday, working with the, uh, two different teams in one organization. And after a number of hours of work with the team, I realized there, there was a conflict that was existing between two middle managers that everyone was afraid to bring to the forefront with me. They were to, maybe with each other, to be honest. And so with their permission in the afternoon, it's like, do you guys mind if we deconstruct where it's coming from? And that, again, courageous act. 
Are you okay if I deconstruct your belief systems about each other in front of everyone else, right? Talk about vulnerable and courageous. And it requires a lot of safe space to do that work. And they, and they opted in, which is, makes me teary just talking about it because that's something many don't have the courage to do. I'm, I'm sometimes not mm-hmm. sure I do. And so, and then what kind of beliefs did you well, uncover? It was, it was amazing. Cause you know, at one point as you're uncovering one layer of the other layer of an onion to another, it was like, well, I believe she doesn't like me. What's that based on? Well, she doesn't ever ask me to lunch and invites everybody else out to lunch. So you believe when someone doesn't invite you to lunch, they don't like you. So it can be, it can go down right into the weeds like that. Or it can be, uh, well, I've just had bad experiences with female leaders before. So I'm, I don't like working mm-hmm. with female leaders. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And so what happens is that person behaves in such a way as they are protecting themselves, not in a place of partnering or co-creation and shutting down. And so the behavior for the female leader that this person reported to is just like, this is a non-engaging person with an attitude. Well, let's figure out where it's coming from. Right. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so now that takes a bit of work though, to get into those beliefs and and to get that space and uh, which not everybody is willing to go there personally, let alone professionally. Um. You know, if, if I'm on a team and maybe I'm a manager, maybe I'm an individual contributor, what might be some biases that could be holding our team back from just having good conversation? I mean, that's a pretty deep conversation, the beliefs, but what are some biases we could maybe alert our listeners to, to just be aware of if this is just to scratch the surface of this world? A common one that I'll often hear is that, you know, the company is really not interested in the values. They're more interested in making money. Mm, Okay, let's go with that. Very very common one. It doesn't matter if you're an individual contributor or not. If that that belief system, conscious and unconscious, right, sits in the system and no one's talking about it, it's impacting the way that people are behaving with each other. So that's that's pretty profound. And then, you know, and those things can get created... Uh, over time, as we know, culturally, um, and also p- prior experiences. So I think about, if I look at Canada, for instance, we had Blackberry here in the Kitchener-Marlou region, and their experiences of how the company slowly, you know, went into a tailspin and started laying off people. When all those people left their workplace to join new workplaces, they brought with them their own biases from their experience. And then I started having companies going, I've got a lot of Blackberry people here and it's impacting, right? It's like, oh my goodness. Mm. It's amazing how we bring with us our prior experiences. Right. Um, whether right. it's from our own families or our past work experience, right? Other. Yeah. And, and, then, and then these unconscious biases can lead to something called micro inequities, yes, correct? Yeah. And what it, what does describe that? That word really isn't in the vernacular yet out there. So uh, if you could enlighten us uh, around what that means. So f- for me, it's a little bit of those behaviors that we will, a great example is how many times as a leader have you promoted only men instead of women? Or even mm-hmm. by, I think about facilitating a conversation as a, as a leader, I don't care if you're a mid-level leader, what subtle inequities exist in your behavior in a meeting? You only make eye contact with people that you are comfortable with, same gender, same race. There's this exercise that I'll do 
called the your ten, the trusted ten. And I'll I'll ask people to list in a column who are your closest ten people in your life. I don't care if it's work or personal. And then when they've done that list, I have them open up this this spreadsheet and say, now I want you to acknowledge how many of them are the same gender, same race, mm. same economic background, same education, and they start checking them all and going, holy crap, that's affinity bias. Wow. We tend to hang around people that have similar life experiences that we have. And so it's called affinity bias as an example. And so when affinity bias exists, the micro inequities will show up even more so without us even consciously knowing we're doing it. I might smile more yeah. with women with same experiences with me because I feel a connection to that person. And it's often not with bad intent. Yeah, there's that intent impact again, right? Intent isn't bad, but impact isn't isn't necessarily going to match up. That's right. And so often when we're calling those things out, especially if they become, if you get to the point where there's no psychological safety in the workplace or they've brought in an investigator to do something around bullying in the workplace, and you really peel back the layers, they're, oh, they're often, not always, but they're often not coming from a place of bad intention. Yeah. Yeah. Jackie, your mic is just kind of popped off. You haven't come in through as, as well the last little bit. So I don't know if something changed there. Okay. There, that's a, that sounds a bit better. Um, now, so any, any other micro inequities or other examples? That was pretty powerful what you just shared. Well, and they're really just, they're just those sort of subtle, you know, I guess I call them subtle disrespectful actions that will reflect our biases. Right. So like the right. eye roll or like the smiling at only a few people, but not with others. I think about even one workplace where some people were saying hello to each other in the morning and not to others. <laughs> mm. But yeah. what we know from neuroscience, we now know that social pain is equal, if not greater to, than physical pain. Yeah, that's, uh, that was, that, that's an ama amazing work. I know it really impacted me when I read that and it, it made sense, right? When we don't belong, it, it can physically, yeah. it physically can hurt. And we've really, really undervalued that in our workplace. Right. And again, it's so, it's, it's really incumbent upon leaders. And, and I would also say individual contributors as well oh, yeah. to make sure that, they are doing and playing a role in creating a good environment for everyone. You can't come to work. Well, I guess you can if you want, but there's no need to come to work and dump your shit on everybody else and make everybody else pay for right. it. Right. Those days are long gone. We also, yeah. like, we also know, like in terms of um, studies that have been done over really over decades, t taking a look at how does the brain respond in social pain and physical pain. And it's the same. You can see the brain light up in the same way where I'm experiencing pain when I'm excluded, which is why the conversations around diversity and inclusion and belonging are so critical into the workplaces now. But the thing I'm wanting is for people, not only leaders to understand what that looks like, but also as individual contributors, what role can we play to move that, to move that conversation along, to build more of those micro affirmations, small gestures of connecting with each other, I always tease my clients and I say, what I want is love in the workplace. And they look at me like, what are you insane? So did you know yep. that love is actually called a micro moment of connection? Yeah. That big L word. So when we, all right. It's just wonderful. And so, 
you know, I think about me as a young female leader in a tech company. You know, I was in my late 20s, early 30s. These guys were in their 40s and 50s, surrounded by the wealthier white men. And often, it's not with bad intention, but I was excluded and I didn't belong. But when I found some courage to step forward and say, you know, every Thursday night when you guys go drinking, I'm going to join yep. you. <laughs> and and no one threw me out. Yep. It took a buttload of curiosity <laughs> about what they're doing and a whole lot of courage. <laughs> yeah. Right? And, just, and so how, you know, I think about those experiences and how hard it must be for others that don't have that courage or even a support system to help them to do that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, yeah, it's uh, courage is such a big, well, I mean, it's, it's a big word all around Brene, obviously Brene Brown talks about it. And I mean, Celine Dion's new tour is called courage. So it's, it's great to see people are really tapping into that. Um, would love to get your perspective on this concept of trying to make workplace change from the bottom up. What, what's your perspective on that, Jackie? For me right now, uh, I think when I think about the work that I'm doing as great culture is dependent on great relationships and great relationships is dependent on great conversations. I'm really wanting to empower people with the capacity for brilliant conversation. And that happens from grassroots level. So even if we're learning, and, and, and to me, that includes things like um, the neuroscience, which is how do we respond and fight, you know, in terms of being threatened or rewarded and to notice the triggers in ourselves and to manage which ones are real or not real. So for instance, if I'm threatened by the guys at work that they're always going out for beers and no one's inviting me, is it a true threat or is it partly assumed in my part and what action can I take on that? And then at the other end of things, it's a bit of the emotional intelligence piece. It's like, what is your capacity for self-awareness and self-management and empathy. So at grassroots level, the kind of conversations that I want to see us having is what is it you're assuming about another person? What is the fact versus the interpretation? Are you checking out your assumptions to see if you're right or wrong about someone liking you or someone's idea of a project or why you may have been excluded or included? And learning to have those really courageous conversations you know, I think about my kid who's 13 now, but when he was in grade three, he came home with the empathy award. <laughs> right? And I was just so proud. I'm like, dude, that's amazing. And I thought, man, if only they had taught us those things when I was in school, that some of the shit that yeah. we're going through now wouldn't be happening. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, it, it, based on what you said, I think we share very sa similar philosophies in that uh, even if you're not the CEO or even if you're not a, a director, there's still a role that you can play in in creating a culture, creating an, an experience at work that is posi uh, positive and uh, nurturing and, uh, and rewarding that, you know, we can't just throw our hands up and say, oh, it's all their fault. 100%. And I think that's empowering work. You know, for me, I, I often say, is I'm not here just to work with your leaders. I want to unleash, unleash the leader in you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It's that, uh, you know, that awareness that we get to choose our response to every situation. Leadership is a verb. So it's an action that we take. You're going to inspire people to take action when you come from a positive frame of mind. 
So for me, it's let's let's unleash all those leaders at every level. Let's do it. Well, I am uh, I am right there by your side, Jackie. I certainly don't have twenty years of experience behind me, but I do hope uh, to be doing this work twenty years down the road, and I'm quite certain you will still be doing it twenty years down the road as well. So I'm very honored to be amongst uh, people like you in this in this field of work. Thank you, and keep inspiring, girl. Yeah. Man, I love your work. I love your words. Uh, I love your inspiration. And um, of course, we're going to do this over wine in person next time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So uh, thanks. Thanks so much, Jackie, for coming on. I, uh, I'm i going to guess you'll be on here again. And like I said, or like you said, um, there could be some wine in our future as well. <laughs> Thank you, Carolyn. Enjoy the rest of today. hearing more about PWE? Well, I'd welcome you to buy my book, Rules of Engagement, Building a Workplace Culture to Thrive in an Uncertain World. I share stories, personal and professional, about different elements of PWE, and it's available on Amazon or on Indigo. Thanks to all of you out there. This is why we do this. This is why we have this conversation. We look forward to being with you again on our next PWE and Me podcast. Now, the best way you can hear us is to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes. And if you don't like either one of those two, you can always go to my website at carolynswara.com.